welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. We'll take a break from Philippians just today. Open your Bible to Colossians. It's right after Philippians, in case you don't know where it is. Colossians chapter 2, just two simple verses, but so full and rich of truth. Verse 6, Colossians chapter 2. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. I don't get to see the comics much anymore because I don't take the newspaper. But I remember one, there were a couple of things. You know, com- comics were more on my, my brain level. The Wizard of Id, you know what I'm talking about? has a little wizard in there, and there's a king who's about this tall, and he's a real jerk. But the wizard of is, the king is eating at the wizard's house. And they just finished a meal, and he turns to, his, to the wizard's wife and says, that was a fine meal, Blanche. And then the wizard says, well, let us pause and give thanks. And the king says, you say grace after the meal? And he said, we're still alive, aren't we? (laughs) And that may be how you feel on this Sunday after Thanksgiving. You know, Thanksgiving has become like the Rodney Dangerfield holiday. It just doesn't get any respect anymore. Even before Thanksgiving gets here. We are bombarded by tons of sales papers and all kinds of advertisements about Black Friday, the biggest shopping day of the year, and now now they're early, early Black Friday sales, and early this. It's amazing how many people, and I've been there and done that, especially when my kids were little. I've been there, got up 4 o'clock in the morning, go stand in line for an hour to save $20. A lot of people do that. (laughs) Maybe the pilgrims even took off on Thanksgiving early to go to the ye olde mercantile store to buy something. And then there's the Thanksgiving Day Parade, the so-called Thanksgiving Day Parade. The turkey just doesn't get its props because there's always the guy in the red and white suit to pull up the rear, and it's our way of saying, Thanksgiving, we love you, but we don't want to stay with you. Christmas is on the way. Now they ask to put our lights up in October. They start putting lights on houses and turning them on. Then there's the Thanksgiving meal. Families get together and do more assault on the waistline than one could possibly imagine. And a meal that took 18 hours to prepare is consumed in 15 minutes with enough leftovers to feed an army for a month. It's the same every year. First you have roast turkey, then the next day you have warmed up turkey, followed by cold turkey, followed by turkey croquettes, followed by turkey omelets, 
followed by turkey hash, followed by turkey soup. Then comes Christmas. And then people spend the rest of the day falling into in and out of a turkey-induced coma while the NFL puts some more, more turkeys up, some generally lopsided matchups. Basically, we say Thanksgiving, we're glad you're here, but we love to see you go so we can get on with Christmas. Personally, it makes me sad that we don't stop long enough to give thanks. But what if Thanksgiving was more than just a one-day event? What if it could be a way of life that connects us to the real joy and real peace of God? You see, the art of thanksgiving is thanksgiving. It's all the time for a believer. It's the gratitude in action. It's applying the, the Albert Schweitzer's philosophy who said, In gratitude for your own good fortune, you must render in return some sacrifice of your life for other life. In other words, it's not all about you because of the gratitude you have. You live for other people. Now, I don't know who wrote this poem been out many, many years. Let our lives be our thanksgiving to our Father up above. Let us worship Him with kindness. Let us praise Him with our love. Let us honor Him with virtue. Let good deeds become our prayer. Let our lives be our thanksgiving for the bounty that we share. And that poem basically expresses thanks living. Because when we have found the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, all of our life is an expression of thanks and gratitude to God. You see, Thanksgiving Day was set aside to pause and remember. Teacher asked her class, what was George Washington famous for? One young student said, his memory. She said, why do you say that? He said, because they erected a monument to his memory. <laughs> well, I want us to remember something today. I know that it's the Sunday after Thanksgiving. But I want us to pause and remember a few things today. And I want us to talk about thanks living. Our everyday life ought to be a, a thankful living to the Lord. And when these two verses, you see such rich truth. First, you see the explanation for thanks living. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. In a day when Paul wrote to the Colossians, there were two, at least two heresies going on. One of them was that Jesus could not have been human because the Gnostics taught that all matter, all flesh, all matter is evil. Therefore, Jesus could not have been human because he would have been evil. Now, we know that's not true. We know that he became a man, and we're going toward that season when we celebrate him, becoming in the, him coming in the flesh. The other heresy was that Jesus Christ was not God. He was just a man. And, and the world today looks at Jesus that way. He was a teacher, a prophet, and so forth, but he was not God. Hence, you have the only time that Paul uses this phrase, Christ Jesus is or the Lord. The only time he really puts it there, and he's combating both of those. 
He's saying, Jesus, the human Jesus is Christ. He is the Lord. He is who he says he is. But then he says, as you have received him. Received. To join oneself to. The emphasis is not on just knowing about Jesus, but about receiving him. John 1.12, when John is talking about the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and he said his own did not receive him. And then he states in John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called the sons of God, even those that believe on his name. You see, there's two things. There's believe and receive. There's the belief that says, I've got it up here. There's a reception that says, I've staked my life on it. And Paul says, you have received Christ. Now, folks, I know that you've heard this time and time again, just like John 3.16. But what is, the, what is the absolute unique characteristic that separates Christians from all of the people who are in the self-help mode? They're buying self-help manuals, manuals or theories or philosophies or even re other religions trying to help themselves. Now, stay with me here. What makes you, is, is Christianity any different from that? Yes, it definitely is. You see, so many people today are driven by the self-imposed desire for self-improvement. I want to be less fat. I want to learn new skills. I want to more have, some people say I'm going to use more effective deodorant. Some are more, I want to be more organized and more efficient. I want to develop, develop increased productivity. That's all good stuff. But all of those aims and goals are fine, but they will not earn you peace and happiness. Here's the bottom line. Stay, you get this. All other human efforts to infuse life with meaning and purpose start from the perspective of getting something you don't already have. Are you with me? In other words, we're after something we don't have now. But Christianity starts with the understanding that we have already received all there is to have. You don't have to get any more. Did you hear all that? I'm not sure some of you are still in a turkey coma. <laughs> Human effort means getting something you don't already have. Christianity starts with the understanding that we've already received all there is to have. When you've given your life to Jesus and you've received him, you have it all. You have all that God has to offer on this side of heaven. Christians who truly understand and accept God's gifts of forgiveness and eternal life are aware that everything's changed. A new way of life has been initiated. It's been started. And our human strivings are not aimed at getting, but at giving, giving thanks for who we are and all that God has done for us. That is thanks living. That's the basis for it. You have what the world could never give you. You have only what God can give you and has given you freely and graciously and mercifully. Only God could do that. You didn't earn it. You didn't inherit it. You didn't buy it. 
You surely didn't deserve it. The greatest thing about gratitude is that you can't keep it to yourself. Because when a person becomes grateful, it leaks out. It goes other places. And the greatest thing about that is you, you, you share it. And how will, will you let God know how thankful you are? That's your job every day. Think about it. It makes all the difference in the world. The basis for thanks living is that I have everything I need to be right with God. And I have everything I need to go to heaven when I die. And I have everything I need to have peace and purpose in my life right now. You're not going to get it in a self-help manual. It's been given to you. Amen? Now, that's the basis. That's the explanation. But now let's look at the essentials or the basics of it. What does that mean? Well, do you see that first word in verse 6? As, which means in the same manner, like, as you have received. And by the way, the word received is a perfect tense verb. This is important. Perfect tense, when it's written in that tense, means that it happens at a point in time and the effects keep on going. Does that make sense when it comes to receiving salvation? Perfect tense, I received Christ. When have you received, when have you committed your life to him? You see, you don't get it by osmosis and you don't inherit it. There's a time in your life. I can tell you that on July the 8th, 1978, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I committed my life to Laura Dubree, who became Laura Wilson. I can go to that time. The effects are still going on and getting better and better. Salvation's the same way. There comes a time when you step across the line and you say, Lord, I commit my life to you. You receive Jesus Christ, perfect tense. Now, the reason I emphasize that, because now he says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. Present tense. Present tense verbs are continuous action, on and on and on and over and over and over. Continue to walk in him. In other words, our manner of life begins to reflect Jesus Christ. He is shown in the way that we live. He's shown in the way that we dress. You know, do modesty is biblical. He's shown in the way that we speak, our speech. He's shown in our attitudes. It's an old hymn that says, while passing through this world of sin and others, your life shall view. Be clean and pure without and within. Let others see Jesus in you. Your life shall book before their eyes. They're reading it through and through. Say, does it point them to the skies? Do others see Jesus in you? Then live for Christ both day and night. Be faithful, be brave and true, and lead the lost to life and light. Let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. Keep telling the story. Be faithful and true. Let others see Jesus in you. Now, how is that shown? 
These verbs are all present tense. Actually, I take that back. This first one is perfect tense. You are rooted. As you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in him, rooted. Rooted. It's used only one other time in the New Testament. Ephesians three seventeen that says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. It means to be firmly fixed, rooted deeply. Sometimes it was used for foundations to be solid foundation, but the word rooted is where the life of the plant comes from. It's where the nutrients go to the plant. You know as well as I do, weeds grow really well around here. And when you go out to get a weed out of the garden or the flower bed, whatever, you need to get the root of it. Because if you don't, it's going to come back. Because the nutrients and the life comes from the roots. Here is a perfect tense verb that says, I am rooted in Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm not rooted in religion. I'm not rooted in the church. I'm not rooted in my good works. I'm rooted in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's where the nutrients come from. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. Hallelujah. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. His oath, his covenant, and blood support me in the whelming flood. When every earthly prop gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, clothed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. That ought to at least halfway excite you out of your coma. You know, there are a lot of different kinds of trees. I, I, I don't know a lot of different kinds. I do know quite a few, but I know what pine trees and oak trees and elm trees and maple and birch and poplar, but you know what kind of tree has the deepest roots? You might be surprised. Fig trees. There's a fig tree in South Africa that have roots that descend 400 feet down into the bedrock. That is a long way. That's 300 feet is a football field. These roots create strength and seek out nourishment. The only kind of trees that can survive drought and storms are trees with roots that go down deep into the ground, are the only kind of Christian who can survive periods of personal storms and emotional droughts are those who have their roots sunk deeply in Jesus Christ where they receive the nourishment and stability. You see, a religious person 
person that just goes to church occasionally, a religious person, the first time something difficult happens in their life, they get mad at God. And they say, well, I'm, I'm done with that stuff. It doesn't work. Now, I'm not saying you can't be mad at God with your roots deep. I've been mad at God. Have you ever been mad at him? Yeah. He can take it. And he won't zap you for being mad at him. But no matter how mad I've been at him, I've never been able to walk away from him. Because the roots are there. And you see a lot of people today get mad at the church. And I understand why. Because the church may have hurt them some way. But if you have your roots in Jesus Christ, you will not walk away from him. You can't. You can't pull those roots up. God says, I've got a hold of you, and nothing will snatch you out of my hand. You're rooted in him. You go deep. When Jesus told the parable of the sower, he said, some of that seed, the gospel falls on shallow ground, and it springs up quickly. But when the sun came out, it scorched it. It meant the trials of life. It cut. It scorched it. You know what deep roots are. We're entering into another season you've completely forgotten about. Tumbleweed season. <laughs> Only us here know about that, don't we? Tumbleweeds don't have deep roots, do they? They let go and whew, there they go. This word is also encouraging. Now listen to this. And somebody, at least one of you, when I get done with this, please say Amen. No matter how tenuous and difficult life seems to be, we've been rooted in Jesus Christ, which means that God has graciously seeded us into the soil of Christ's unchanging, unconquerable grace. In other words, you're never taken out of the grace of God. No matter how difficult life gets, you're rooted in Him. It's our identity, it's our security, it's our strength. When we feel like we're wandering aimlessly, and some days we don't feel like we're Christians, whatever we may encounter, good or bad, we sometimes think, I'm, I, I don't know, I don't feel like a Christian. But I want to tell you, you've been rooted in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how you feel, it's all by faith in Him. When you trusted your life with him, the psalmist described this kind of person when he said he's like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which yields his fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whether he, whatever he does shall prosper. Psalm 1-3, a tree represents depth and stability. The next time you look at a big oak tree, you remember this. An oak tree is just a little nut that refused to give up its ground. That's the kind of perseverance and tenacity that we can have. That's thanks living. Not only are we alive, Jesus said, I've come to give you life. You're rooted. You have life. But you're also active. You're built up in him. Now, the first picture, rooted, is a settled state. It means that you've been planted in Christ. But the next phrase, present tense, shows a state of development. You're a work in progress. And how do you continue to be built up in him and grow? You deepen your knowledge of God's word and apply it to your life. 
You participate in the body of Christ through serving and ministry. You respond to the trials and challenges with resilience, relying on God's strength. But what about those times when you don't feel like any spiritual progress is being made? You ever feel like you're stuck in concrete, you're immobile and immovable? But that's when we have to remember the Word of God that says we are rooted in Christ Jesus. We're being built up in Christ even now, even though you may not feel like it. Brick by brick, board by board, sometimes you're growing and you don't even realize it. It may be imperceptible to you, but you're being built up in Christ. You just keep on keeping on. You keep on putting one foot in front of the other. You persevere. Persevere means to keep on. I, I got amused. The Sunday school teacher was, was going to teach on perseverance, and so she kind of gave a riddle trying to get her kids to think about perseverance. And here's what she said. He drove straight to his goal. He looked neither to the right nor to the left, but pressed forward, moved by a definite purpose. Neither friend nor foe could delay him nor turn him from his course. All who crossed his path did so at their own peril. What would you call such a man? One little boy said, truck driver. (laughs) But perseverance to keep on keeping on. We're to be growing. You remember those advertisements a long time ago that says you are what you eat? So this room's full of turkeys today, right? (laughs) But really and truly, if you think about you you grow in the Lord by at least depending and, and familiarizing yourself with God's Word and reading it for yourself, We're alive, rooted. We are active, being built up in him. And then look, and it says, we're established in the faith as you have been taught. It refers to the process of going on. Don't quit trying. The word here is actually used to describe the practice of guaranteeing legal contracts. God has bound himself to you and me. I want you to understand that. God has bound himself to you and me. When we committed our life to him, his covenant with us, in the blood of Jesus Christ, he has bound himself. He has sealed the document of ownership. You belong to him. We are his. He is ours. He will continue to confirm and solidify us in the experience and knowledge of all that he has made known of himself to you and me. You see, You're established. You're owned. You're God's. He's not going to let go of you. Stay with what you've been taught. You've been taught the Word of God. Doesn't matter what some knucklehead makes up on his own and says, I got a new word from God. There are no new words from God. Only interpretations of God's word. You need to stay with it. You've been told who you are in Jesus Christ. Don't let anybody else tell you otherwise. The basis, the explanation for thanks living is you are in Christ Jesus the Lord. The basics of that, you've been made, you've been rooted, you've been made alive, you've been established. Now, what are the effects of it? I call them the byproducts. 
abounding in verse 7. Abounding in it with thanksgiving. The word abounding is one of Paul's favorite words. He uses it quite often. It's, it means to overflow. To overflow. To leak out. It's a river overflowing its banks. It's present tense. And listen, the more you learn, the more thankful you become. The older I get, the more I don't understand why God even loved me in the first place, much less saved me. If you've grown up in the church, you begin to take things for granted. You do. And when you say thank you, do you really mean it? <laughs> kind of reminds me, Tony Moore wrote this. He said, we attended the wedding of an acquaintance's son, a friend's son. And because we did not know the young man or his bride, we decided to send them a practical household gift, a fire extinguisher. <laughs> Apparently, the couple mass-produced their thank-you notes because we received a card saying, thank you very much for the nice wedding gift we look forward to using it soon. <laughs> By the way, can I just throw a little etiquette in here? A text or an email is not a thank you note. Somebody done something worthy of thank you, you need to handwrite a thank you note. And don't just say thank you for the gift. Sign your name. That was free. I'm going to charge you for that. But it seems like etiquette is leaving our nation. Gratitude is the antidote for complaining, for discontentment, for dissatisfaction. Gratitude is the antidote for complaining. You say, well, there's a lot of things I want. Well, even if you don't have all that you want, you can be thankful that you're not getting what you deserve. You see, a recent study underscores the importance of gratitude. The research found that grateful people, those who perceived gratitude as a permanent trait rather than a temporary state of mind, tended to take better care of themselves and lead healthier lifestyles. Grateful people manage stress better and tend to be more optimistic, a characteristic that researchers say boosts the immune system. Grateful people are resilient people as this attitude enables them to bounce back from difficult experiences, disappointments, and losses in life. Gratitude helps people see beyond the products of today, problems of today, and restores their hope that things will get better tomorrow. Grateful. Throughout American history, religious leaders, political figures, presidents have called for times to express gratitude, Abraham Lincoln, in the midst of the Civil War, designated the fourth Thursday in November as a national day of thanksgiving. Now remember, when he made this proclamation, it was in the midst of the Civil War between the states. 
Consider the devastation, the human suffering, and the loss that both the North and the South were experiencing due to this war. Yet in the opening sentences of his proclamation, President Lincoln identified specific areas where the nation had prospered throughout the year. Then he encouraged them to pray for healing, restoration, peace, and unity. You see, those who lack a deep sense of gratitude to God are also very vulnerable to spiritual doubt and delusion. Paul frequently employed thankfulness as one of the litmus tests of your Christian spiritual health. If you're not a grateful person, you're not healthy spiritually. He assumed that Christians would live in an attitude of thankfulness. Folks, when you begin to focus on the Lord and what He's done, your grumbling can go away. You know, there, there are just some people who just grumble no matter what. There's a chronic grumbler who couldn't find anything about which to give thanks or praise. He was a very f- successfully financial, he was financially successful as a farmer, but he had a sour attitude and nobody wanted to be around him. Nothing seemed to please him. His pastor even tried to brighten the outlook all to no avail. But one day, one year, he had a bumper potato harvest. The disgruntled farmer enjoyed a bumper crop and wanting to strike a more cheerful note, the the pastor said, Brother, I understand you've had a tremendous season with potatoes this year. That certainly must be cause for rejoicing. He said, Yeah, it's true. Harvest was good. But my problem is I don't have any bad potatoes to feed my pigs. I know people like that, don't you? You ever heard anybody complain because their freezer was full? Didn't have room to put anything else in it? Or their closet? My closet's just so full, I can't put anything else in it. I want to read to you out of Romans chapter 1. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now listen to this. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. You see, one of the first indicators of a departure from God is a lack of thanksgiving. If you can't be content with what you've received, at least be thankful from what you've escaped. And I can tell you one thing that you should be thankful for today, and that is only you and God have all the facts about yourself. That's why when God's been taken out of the country, I I don't know if it's just by um, coincidence or circumstances or if it was intentional. But have you noticed that the new coins 
still have in God we trust on them, but they have the face turned away from it instead of facing it. You haven't even noticed, have you? Our nation's turned its back on God. And now that you know why, there's never anything mentioned about thanking God on Thanksgiving Day. It's called Turkey Day or the day before Black Friday. But surely as Christians, we can live our lives with gratitude and thanks living. God, thank you for everything that you've done for me. I got amused at a bank teller who's working in the drive through bank, and this particular window faced the sun in the evening or in the afternoon. And so because the sun was so bright, they, he would pull down the shade. He could still see people in the cars, but they couldn't see him. So it looked like no one was there. A lady drove up. Couldn't see anybody there, but she pressed the button and the drawer came out or the window went up and she put her check in the drawer and the drawer withdrew. Seconds later, the drawer rolled out again with her money in it. She took the money and stared at the window. She couldn't see anybody. And she said, I, I know you're completely automated, but I want to say thank you anyway. Well, folks, I want to tell you the universe is not automated. It's held in God's hands. God didn't save you and then just wind you up and say, see you later, good luck. No. He walks with you day by day. He knows your name. knows everything about you. And I'm here to tell you that if you don't know Jesus, you're not rooted in him. You're not a part of him. You've not been planted in him. You're not ever going to be grateful. You can be religious. Religious people aren't grateful. People trying to earn their way to salvation are not grateful. But when you realize that God loves you in spite of how sorry you and I are, we're we're. We're sinful people. And God said, I, I love you. Why, God? You loved me before I even knew about you. In fact, I loved you enough to send Jesus to become one of you. Jesus, why would you want to become one of us? He went through all the temptations, the struggles. He got mad. He cried. He suffered. He got tired. He lived a life for you and me. He lived one of the lives we have, and, and yet he never sinned. And so he was the only one who was willing and capable of atoning are paying for our sin on the cross. And God said, I'm going to put your sin, I'm going to apply your sin to Jesus who died.
The wages of sin is death. He died. He rose again. He conquered death. He took the keys of hell himself. And he's saying to you, I offer to you eternal life. Without me, you're already condemned. John 3, 17 says. But with me, you'll have life and have it more abundantly. And I've done something for you that you will never be able to do for yourself. You can't earn it. You're not even partially responsible for your salvation. I mean, you weren't halfway saved before Jesus saved you. You're totally lost, to totally saved. And when you begin to understand that, you begin to say, God, thank you. I could never pay this back. Thank you. I want to live my life, what left I have for you. I, I want to honor you with my life. I know that this world's just a it's just a big junkyard. One of these days we're going home. There's no junk there. If you don't know Jesus, today's your day. You're not you're not responding to me. You're responding to the Lord. And if you don't know Christ, today's your day. To say, Lord, I understand. I, I get it now. I've, I've got you here, but I've never received you. I've never been rooted in Christ. I, I want to give you my life today. If you need a church, I can tell you, I've been here a long time. These people are not perfect. Neither am I. And they know it. I figured somebody say amen then. <laughs> but we're bound together. We've got the same roots <laughs> rooted in Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me? Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. 